Hello, and welcome to Rate of Change, a podcast from Duke Engineering dedicated to the ingenious ways that engineers are solving society's toughest problems. My name is Ken Kingery. I'm a science writer for Duke Engineering and all-around general nerd. And I am Michaela Keane. I am a science writer for Duke University's Department of Biomedical Engineering, and I am also a resident nerd. Today, we are going to talk about building muscle. But we're not talking about building a muscle in a gym, we're talking about building muscle in a laboratory, which is actually a lot harder than doing it in a gym, no matter what your personal trainer might say. Growing muscle in a lab has all kinds of different uses. You could use it to test drugs for different diseases, and you could grow a bunch of it to implant into patients suffering from an injury or a degenerative disease. But there's just as many hoops to jump through first before you can even start dreaming about these sorts of applications. To get to some of those, let's find out who we're talking to today. I'm Nenad Bursac and I'm a professor of biomedical engineering at Duke University and my lab is involved in finding ways to treat different kinds of skeletal and heart muscle diseases. We are growing muscle cells. We either uh, have these cells obtained from patients or from human donors or we make these cells starting from scratch and in my lab that's usually done starting from stem cells. Now when he says stem cells, what he means is induced pluripotent stem cells. And these aren't the controversial ones that you usually hear about all over the news. Instead, these are cells that are actually taken from adults and reverted back to a primordial state. The ability to basically take these cells back to square one is so powerful and potentially transformational to medicine that it won the Nobel Prize just six years after it was first accomplished. The Nobel Assembly at Karolinska Institute has today decided to award the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine 2012, jointly to John B. Gurdon and Shinya Yamanaka. What does this mean, uh, and how great is the potential for using adult stem cells? Well, one expert says it's potentially revolutionary. And, and Trace, let me explain to you what we're talking about here. It's called IPS. That stands for induced pluripotent stem cells. That's the technical name. But what really matters here is IPS one day might literally be able to save your life. For reference, it took Watson and Crick nine years to win the prize after discovering DNA, and that itself was one of the fastest turnaround times for the Nobel Prize. So now let's go back to Professor Bursach to learn about how this incredible breakthrough has affected his research. You go from a cell that's well differentiated, it has its function, it's within a body like a blood cell or a skin cell, and then you add these factors that make it younger, much, much younger to almost an embryonic state where the cells and these pluripotent stem cells can become almost any cell in our body. And when you say growing cells, uh, when I think about growing cells, I think about like bacteria in a soup and they just proliferate uncontrollably. Do human cells do the same thing if you just put them in a, like some sugar water? Yeah, so uh, sugar water. So yeah, so it's basically like a sugar water. It's it does have uh, div sugars. It has glucose that we all you know use all the time every day, but also has some proteins and some other minerals. And uh, human cells within this soup are actually growing well. Depends on a soup and depends on a cell type. In our own lab, we are mostly interested in getting them to become skeletal muscle cells or heart muscle cells. So the cells that contract in our body and do the work. And are those two types of cells, skeletal muscle and heart cells, are those 
harder to get the pluripotent stem cells to get to than other types? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I guess every cell type has its challenges. I, I think, you know, uh, for, for at this moment, most of the, you know, investigators in the world have managed to get almost any existing cell type in the body starting from these, from these cells. Some have more challenges and more steps. Others have less challenges and less cells, uh, steps. For example, for the, I would say that skeletal muscle cells at this moment are harder to derive than uh, heart muscle cells. What specifically makes them harder to derive than the heart muscle cells? When we start from these pluripotent stem cells and, and let them uh, become any cell fate just spontaneously, the, some of these cells will become heart muscle cells, but almost none of these cells will spontaneously turn into skeletal muscle cells. Within almost 8 to 10 days, you can have a heart muscle cell made and spontaneously contracting, and you can see it in a dish. Skeletal muscle cells, it takes weeks. So, um, um, yeah, it's always been, you know, a kind of a puzzling thing why heart muscle cells is much easier to make than uh, skeletal muscle cells. According to Dr. Bursuch, since the pluripotent stem cells were first used in 2006, there's been an influx of tens of thousands of researchers into the field of regenerative medicine. And all of these researchers have been trying to figure out new ways to use these pluripotent stem cells to replicate tissues, organs, and cells within our own body. However, that's no easy feat. And with tens of thousands of people all around the world trying to use these things to improve the quality of life, they're not all doing the same thing. There's a lot of work that's being done to create little tiny pieces of tissue that can be used to explore for new types of drugs and also to be used for individual patients to see what types of treatments would work best for them. But Professor Bursach is trying to grow entire pieces of muscle. So the question is, how many people are trying to do that? Well, I think, you know, there are, there's a significant number of researchers trying to coax cells and make them into functional tissues, right? So being able to make pluripotent stem cells, for example, into, into heart muscle cells is a relatively, you know, standard procedure at this point. Then how you use them after that is a question. One possibility is to use to study a disease. And you can study disease sometimes only on a single cell level, but sometimes you really need to coax these cells into a functional tissue to be able to study the disease. And so for that reason, you know, a lot of people will take the cells, try to or coax them into tissues. And for studying disease, and especially drug tests, you will actually want these tissues to be the smallest possible so you can t test as many drugs as you can in these little miniature tissues. So people call these tissues micro-tissues or microphysiological systems and then use them for drug tests. So this is one of the avenues of research and this is, you know, where I think most or bulk of the people who make cardiac muscle cells for pluripotent cells, this bulk of what they do. I'm trying they to try make that as efficient as possible. So you, by making them as small as possible, you can fit more on a chip. You can spend less time growing them. Exactly. All, all you can test things. many drugs in the multiplicates and different doses at the same time. So the, a lot of people is now focused on that work and because it, this is probably a lower hanging fruit in what you can do with these cells. And pharma industry and you know is interested in this. On the other hand, you know, a smaller group now of researchers is, is trying to use these cells for a regenerative therapy. Because the reason is if you are to make um, a piece of heart muscle that you would try to use to replace the muscle that's lost in the heart during heart attack, you need really a big functioning tissue. And so in our own lab, we are mostly interested in getting them to become skeletal muscle cells. A little it's, more difficult to do? Yeah, a, li a little more, a little more and more difficult to do, <laughs> a little bit 
you know more challenging for sure and the reason that it's more challenging is because now you need to generate something that's maybe centimeters you know large instead of uh, less than millimeters you know or millimeters and when you say something's that large are you still looking at just heart muscles or are you trying to then start to introduce other types of cells uh because nothing acts alone, nothing lives by itself, at least not in the human body. Yeah, that's a very good point. So, you know, when we look at the heart muscle, you see, um, if you look, if you compare this, just cell numbers in the heart muscle, heart muscle cells, the cells that contract, are only about 20, 20, 30% of cells. There are all other cells that are present in the heart that support heart muscle function. And for example, some of them are, of course, capillaries and, you know, vascular cells because they need to bring nutrients to heart muscle cells so they can work hard during the entire life. And there are other cell types that probably are very important, especially in a response to injuries such as immune system cells, for example. So immune cells are actually what we're here to talk about today. And most people recognize immune cells as white blood cells or T cells, and these are cells in the body that help us fight off infection. But before we learn about why immune cells are so important to Professor Bursach right now, we'd have to start at the beginning with cells called satellite stem cells. So satellite stem cells are stem cells that are native to most organs and muscles. They just sit around, they live there, they're there when you're born, and when you get an injury or when you work out, they activate and they spread throughout the tissue that needs repairing, and they repair it. So basically what I'm saying is that they're essential for healing. And that's a lesson that Nanad learned back in 2014 when he published a study that actually ended up on the front page of the internet and broke Duke Engineering's website. Scientists in the U.S. use animals to test drugs for safety and effectiveness before they can be approved for patients. But they hope that one day the use of animals could be reduced and the search for more customized treatments for patients made easier by testing drugs on lab-grown human tissue. Scientists at Duke University have now come a step closer to making that a reality. They say they've created the first lab-grown human skeletal muscles that contract in response to electrical and other stimuli. So just to recap a little bit, back in 2014, Anad took small pieces of muscle from little baby mice and got them to grow into fully functional, self-healing adult muscle tissue. But if you listen closely, I said baby mice. We all know that children are resilient, among other adjectives, and this resilience is actually because of these native stem cells that they're born with. When they're first born, these native stem cells are incredibly potent, and they're able to heal them very, very effectively. But as they grow up, these stem cells are replaced by blood-derived stem cells, which just aren't as potent. And that brings us down to his latest development. When we, we started working with adult now muscles and trying to do it from adult muscle, we made a muscle that has, looks exactly as what we've done with a, from these two-day-old old rats. And functionally, it looked the same. It did contain some of the same stem cells in the muscle, which is what I mentioned. And then we, and we injured it, as we did with neonatal muscle. Instead of regeneration, we saw only death and you know degeneration. So uh, it was very opposite result from using the neonatal muscle. And so we thought that, you know, about another potentially, you know, adding some of the growth factors and some of the molecules that could, you know, help with this regeneration. And we basically did all of the usual suspect molecules that people are known are pro-regenerative and help regeneration. And we, we put them in and we injured the muscle and we couldn't see anything again. So we realized that these factors are probably not enough and that it should be potentially we should think about adding a, another cell type that is important for regeneration and in particular for muscle regeneration as well as for regeneration or like a healing of many of our you know tissues in the body immune system cells are very important. I 
wouldn't necessarily have thought of that. Uh, I, I don't think of the immune system as something that helps you heal necessarily. You know, it stops you from getting sick. So how does the immune system help you heal? Yeah, so for example, you know, if muscle gets to be damaged, if, if you just exercise in the gym and get sore muscle, that what that means is, is that actually some of the muscles are being damaged. Muscle fibers have died. And so in that moment, as soon as that happens, and in particular cell type that's called monocyte from the blood is attracted to the site of injury. So these monocytes come into the injured muscle and then they differentiate into a cell called macrophage. And macrophage is a cell that actually in our body serves primarily to remove all the debris and all the damaged remainers of, of these dying muscle fibers. So at the same time, while that cell is removing the damage, the fibers, it's also releasing other factors. And those factors can uh, attract other cell types. And in particular, different types of immune system cells. And in this point, they are bringing other types of macrophages that will then can help proliferation of stem cells to regenerate the muscle and further, you know, help with the muscle regeneration. So the amped up sugar water wasn't working for you. So you decided you needed some immune cells. How does that work? How do you put immune cells in with this tissue that you've already been growing? Do you just take a syringe and go suck some up from a rat and stick it in there? Or? Yeah, so, so, you know, so bone marrow is a source of many of the, you know, system cells, immune system cells in our body. And, you know, especially, you know, uh, as I said, macrophages. And so we can derive it from starting from those early cells. Once they are derived, once we have the macrophages, then we actually, you know, optimize the conditions to, move, to mix them together with muscle cells. We can come to basically designing a muscle that now has both muscle fibers, stem cells, and macrophages all in the same mixture and with the same functionality as it was without macrophages. And so this was our goal, and we've, this is what we've Getting done. closer and closer to the real thing then. Exactly. Getting closer and closer, yes. And then, uh, you know, what we've done, we've actually went to injure it to see whether that would really help this healing that we mentioned. And it was really, uh, voila, we saw, you know, unbelievable injury, injury response where everything regenerated as, you know, it did, you know, for the neonatal cells without presence of macrophages. So it, it obviously told us that that component of muscle or being in the muscle or that immune system component is, is very important for, you know, muscle, adult muscle to regenerate. So this is the first time anybody's been able to pluck muscle fibers from an adult, proliferate them into a larger functioning muscle, and be able to have those resulting muscles heal themselves after being injured. Yes, that's exactly it. Uh, and this is only for animals at the moment? Yes, yeah, so we are working to do the same thing with human muscle cells. So we can make a human muscle from starting from human pluripotent stem cells or just from biopsies from a human muscle. So one of the differences between human and the rat is that actually when we want to test for a generation, the, the same toxins, the toxins that injure rat cells do not seem to as equally injuring human cells. We are actually now working on finding good ways to be able to test this regenerative potential of the human muscles containing the immune system cells with a good injury model. So, you know, you can't test just take a bat to them or something? <laughs> no, yeah, well, you know, that's a possibility, the crash injury, so, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, for now, you know, we, we are trying to do it, you know, in a more controlled fashion. Yes. Uh, right. So can you tell about what you're working on next? Where does this go from here? We are actually, you know, again, working in terms of, uh, you know, trying to develop further our human engineered muscles. We are 
making a regenerative or trying to make self-healing muscle from human tissues. Those kind of muscles could be used for drug tests for a lot of diseases that evolve degeneration of, of human muscles, as well as potentially muscle atrophy. So we are developing this as a system to be able to study different diseases. We are now making pluripotent, using pluripotent stem cells, and we've been the first group to actually make the human functional muscle from these cells. So now we can test rare muscle diseases in addition, you know, so this is one of the directions that we have in the lab. And are you also working with collaborators over at the Duke Medical Center to try to start making these platforms actually a reality for yeah. testing actual diseases? Yes, yeah, so, you know, we are working with missions from Duke uh, to obtain muscle biopsies such that we can have a source for, you know, engineering muscle, both from healthy donors when there are some uh, surgical discards, as well as from uh, patients with specific diseases. We're also working with uh, cardiothoracic surgeons for our cardiac muscle engineering works to, you know, be able to test some of these heart patches that I mentioned, so the large engineered heart muscle tissues in, in pig models of, uh, you know, a heart attack. So a lot of close collaborations with clinicians at Duke, and this is, you know, as you know, Duke is one of the unique places where, you know, I think engineering and medicine are so closely and tightly connected uh, for, you know, with the goal of translating this you know, discoveries from bench to bedside. Okay, last question, because we're running out of time. With either of these projects, you're a pretty young faculty member still. You could be doing this for decades. Where do you hope to leave this off when you retire? Well, you know, I mean, the most I would love to happen is that we see some people really treated using what we do in, in the lab. So uh, where I would like to leave, I would love maybe when I retire, there are people, you know, with heart attack or some of the pediatric patients or, you know, having uh, a Bursac therapy, in, you know, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, to, for, for the, some of those really devastating diseases. And also a Nobel Prize maybe wouldn't be too bad. Well, I, I don't know about that, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, primarily goal is to really help someone and then we'll see for the rest, yes. All right. Well, we'll look forward to seeing the uh, Bursac procedure then. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rate of Change. If you want to learn more about Professor Bursatch's research, please visit pratt.duke.edu. And please subscribe for more updates from Duke Engineering.